people do incredible things all the time, right? But sometimes, actually often, people do incredible things and do it with terrible character. But every so often, you get someone who does incredible things with incredible character. So, maybe you've already discovered it if you're Snoopy, but underneath your donut tray, there's this sheet. There's a couple of them. You can share at the table, pass it around, take a good look. Um, So, we've got two characters here. We got Tim Duncan and Dennis Rodman, and you can see some of their accomplishments here. And uh, just by show of hands, before you saw this sheet, and be honest, Raise your hand if you, if you really didn't know much about Tim Duncan before. Okay, that's what I thought. Wow, incredible. How many knew some stuff about Dennis Rodman? Wow, okay, that's what I thought as well. Good, you're with me. The illustration's going to work. Um, what's crazy is they both have five championships. They both have illustrious careers just stat-wise. They do. The difference is that Dennis Rodman did all sorts of antics on and off the court that we shouldn't discuss in church, okay? Tim Duncan, however, quietly did his job, was really generous to people, and still is, but you don't know about him because he didn't make a big deal about himself. At the end of the day, that's why you don't know about him. Tim Duncan was an incredible basketball player and incredible man. And let me tell you, let me tell you a story about Tim Duncan. So, um, this is a couple years after he was retired, and he played for the San Antonio Spurs. And there was a rookie named Lonnie Walker, and he got hurt, and he was trying to rehab. So Tim Duncan, he's retired, right? He has no obligation to do this. He's helping Lonnie Walker get back in shape, and they're working out, they're shooting hoops, whatnot, and they're, they're taking a break, and Lonnie loses his lunch on the court, right? And Tim Duncan goes, gets a mop, cleans it up, and goes, Lonnie, let's get back out there. We got more work to do. This is a guy, after he accomplished everything there on your sheet, this is a guy who was humble enough not just to clean puke off the court from a rookie, but then to go, hey, let's get back out there. Let's, Let's go for it. His coach, Greg Popovich, described Tim Duncan as someone who has gotten over themselves. Someone who has gotten over themselves. It's amazing when people do incredible things like Tim Duncan, but it's even more incredible when they do it with incredible character. Now, today we're in Luke 8, and if you want to start turning there, Luke 8, 22 is where we're going to be starting. If you, if you have a Bible or a Bible app and But what's cool is this scripture is actually probably pretty familiar to you. Even if, say, you didn't grow up in the church, some of these stories you're you're probably going to have heard from somewhere, perhaps. And I want you to be amazed this morning at how incredible and, and outright supernatural these things that Jesus does are. But I also want you to be amazed at not just the supernatural but the unnatural character that Jesus does these these things with. What's astounding about Jesus isn't just what he does, it's how he does it. So, can I have someone bold enough to stand up and read Luke 8, 22 
to 25 for us. 22 to 25, Max, thank you, sir. Very good. Thanks, Max. So the supernatural part here is pretty obvious. Jesus shows his power over nature itself. Jesus here, he gets up from a nap, and he yells at the wind and at water. Now, I've definitely yelled at the wind and water in my life before. Um, I'm sure you have as well. I remember my college roommate did quite a bit Uh, Because we were up in Minneapolis or up in St. Paul at Northwestern, and he would always go, is that all you got, Minnesota? And uh, nothing would ever happen when he did it. It was was just very memorable and hilarious. But uh, same thing happens now when I yell at the wind um, with maybe uh, a little more colorful language. But, you know, when Jesus yells at the wind here, it listens to him and then obeys him. And immediately it stops. That's the supernatural. I don't want to look past that. That's incredible. But what's just as incredible and unnatural is that Jesus is calm. He doesn't just calm the winds and the waves. He is calm throughout this. Think about it. He knows the potential dangers of being out at sea. He created the sea. Right? He knows the wind, the storms, the waves. He knows what could happen, yet he gets on the boat and takes a nap. Sleep is hard to come by when you're nervous and afraid, right? We all, we all know that. But Jesus clearly is not nervous or afraid, even though he knows the potential danger. Jesus is calm. Jesus' response to his frantic followers is this. Where is your faith, he says to them. Where is your trust? Don't you trust God? Don't you trust me? There's a stark contrast here between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is calm. His disciples are panicked. Jesus has faith, and his disciples are fearful. Jesus trusts, and his disciples doubt. But this is Jesus. He's calm. He's trusting even in the face of potential dangers, in the face of what ifs. What if this happens on this journey? What if that happens? He's like, I trust the Lord. I'm taking a nap. He's calm and trusting even in the middle of the actual danger, right? He just gets up, says, stop it, and it stops. He's calm. Now let's fast forward to 2022 here in our own lives. This is actually Jesus' invitation to you as you walk with him today. He's saying, calmly trust me, even if. Calmly trust me today, even if the worst scenario you can come up with in your mind happens. 
He's, he, let, me, let, me, let me make it a little more real. So Jesus is saying to us essentially today, calmly trust me today, even if the weatherman says derecho number two might hit in 36 hours. He's saying, yes, wisely take precautions and prepare, but put just as much effort, maybe more, into calming your mind and to trusting me and helping those you love and lead trust me if this happens. Jesus' invitation is is this. Calmly trust me today, even if the school your kids go to has potential safety concerns tomorrow, which is every day, actually. I think he'd say, yes, wisely take precautions and prepare your kids as I direct you, but put more effort into calming your heart and mind and into trusting me and helping your kids trust me today. Jesus' invitation is this, calmly trust me today even if a virus continues to threaten your health and your way of life. Yes, wisely take precautions as I direct you, and try not to get too judgy about how I direct him or her. You know what I'm saying? But put more effort into calming your heart and your mind and trusting me, and then help others trust me today regarding this virus. See, this is, this is an incredible story, but, but just as incredible as Jesus, Jesus being calm and then him inviting us into that calm. The same Jesus that calmed the wind and the waves and remained calm through it all is with you. And he invites you into that same calm peace today. He does this both in the face of what ifs, potential danger, and in the middle of actual danger. So I'd like you to discuss at your table, and it's on your sheet there, under message, the first question. It says, what what if are you having a hard time trusting God with right now? Share. Okay, I'm going to keep us moving. And you'll have some more time later. If you want to come back to this, feel free. If you want to stay, stay as late as you want and talk about it as well. I know that's a, that's a deep question. But before we just move on, and we're just sharing, man, I'm, I'm nervous about this. I want to pray over you. I want to pray for those what ifs. So, Father, thank you for giving people in here the boldness with perhaps complete strangers till today um, to share some of their worries and cares. I pray that you would help them to not just share about it here, but to cast their cares upon you because you really do care about them and that you would give them strength to not live in the what if and give them strength and hope and peace and the ability to be able to calm their hearts and minds and to focus on you, Jesus, and take their thoughts captive as you call us to do, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. One more thing, if, you, if you're sitting here going, wow, uh, yeah, that's easier said than done, you're right. So if if you need a resource to help you and you haven't been around or, or just haven't gotten to grab one of these on your table, there's a couple of these devotionals. Um, feel free to grab one. There's more on the welcome table as well, these rest devotionals. It's just one verse. It, it is very simple. 
But the whole idea behind it is for this, is to help you take your thoughts captive and just really focus on the truth of what God says and what he says about us. So that can be really helpful in this journey. Now, this whole sermon could have been done on that, so I know we're, we're moving on, but I uh, would love to talk to you more about that if you would like. The next section, we're going to see Jesus being really poised. So now we're in, in verse 26. Luke 8, 26. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most, most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. So Jesus here demonstrates his power over demons. Supernatural, to say the least. Verse 29, Jesus commands a demon to leave a guy. Demons immediately here recognize Jesus and they're terrified of him. They beg Jesus, hey, can we just go into these pigs? They want to get out of there as fast as possible. And it says, kind of nonchalantly, Jesus gave them permission. We don't know what that was. Maybe Jesus just gave them a thumbs up. Maybe Jesus did the head nod. Maybe he said go. We don't, we don't know. But what incredible power here. Jesus hardly lifts a finger and multiple demons leave this guy. Jesus, though, doesn't just have power over one demon. He has power over a legion of demons. But beyond that, Jesus actually has power over all demons, and they all know it. Now, I don't know what your experience in life has been with demons or the demonic, but from my own experience and from hearing others, it's nothing short of terrifying, strange, and dark. And those words just only scratch the surface. But listen, Jesus has complete power over it all. 
This is incredibly comforting to me, and it should be to you as well. Jesus has complete power over all demonic forces. But Jesus doesn't just display this power here. He does it with incredible poise. That's the unnatural response. Here's what I mean by poise. Poise is humble confidence. Humble confidence. Now, admittedly, I am not a deer hunter, but I've talked enough with people who hunt deer that I think this illustration will be helpful because it made sense to me and I've never done it. So here we go. Imagine you're out deer hunting. You're in your deer stand, deer blind. One of those things that I've never been in. Imagine you're there and a deer walks right in front of you and you have the perfect shot to hit him right where you're supposed to to kill him. But you're about to fire the gun and you think to yourself, I am going to drop this buck and I know I'm going to do it because I have the perfect shot and I've done it before. Bam. That's poise. Okay? That's what poise looks like. But poise also means you then don't purposely rub it in the face of other people who didn't get to fill their tag that year, okay? So poise is humble confidence. Jesus here is confident. He commands demons to come out. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't politely request. No, he's like, you're, you're coming out. He knows his own power, and he doesn't flinch in using it. Yet he's humble. He doesn't create more of a scene than there already was. I don't know if you caught as I read this text. This guy was naked running around. Okay, this, this situation didn't need it escalated. It was already pretty escalated whenever this guy would show up. And he confidently, but almost casually, casts out these demons. Verse 39, he says to this guy, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, go tell everyone all that Jesus did for you, although he is God. He wants God to get the glory and the credit. Even Jesus, who had all the right in the world to take all the credit and glory, deflects it to his own Father. Now let's fast forward to today again. Moms, dads, husbands, Wives, your homes desperately need you to be poised like Jesus. Employees, employers in here, your workplace desperately needs you to be poised like Jesus. Social media users, probably a lot of you watching right now since you're on social media, but I'm sure many of us in this room, your followers desperately need you to be poised like Jesus. Imagine for a second what a generation of confident people who are over themselves, right? Who are not full of themselves, but over themselves. Imagine what they would do for Jesus. Imagine what a generation of people who draw their confidence, not from within, but from God himself, and then deflect the credit and attention and glory to God would do for the kingdom. Poise is what we need. And poise is what Jesus has here. 
Next, we're going to see that Jesus is pretty unhurried. So, if I can have someone else read out loud Luke 8, 40 to 56. 40 to 56. Go for it, Jesus. Stand up nice and loud. Thank you. Thanks, Tisa. So, how would you like to be one of the people that got recorded for all time that you laughed at Jesus? I just noticed that now. I'd be like, man, that, yeah. I was part of that group. I laughed at Jesus, and then he proved me wrong. That was me. Um, So, Jesus here shows his power in incredible ways, first over disease and then over death itself. So he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Now Jairus was an important Jewish leader, we learn in here. And power goes out from Jesus and heals this woman instantly. Now he's in this crowd. Imagine you're like coming out of a stadium or you're leaving a concert and there's, there's all sorts of people. You've been in those crowds where you just, you can hardly move and that's Jesus. But imagine everyone's trying to get to you and you're trying to move at the same time. This is what's happening. And power goes out from Jesus and heals a woman instantly. This is how much power Jesus had over disease. It just like overflows from him. But this certainly wasn't random or uncontrolled by Jesus. His response is to this woman, your faith has saved you. Now clearly Jesus set this whole thing up to teach people about faith. 
It, it was like this quick teaching moment as he's on his way to heal someone. It's like, hey, you need to trust and believe that I can heal and I will. And so that's, real quickly, he has this like little teaching moment and all, through just saying one sentence. Jesus is incredible. But here he is. He's on his way. He shows his power over disease. Next, Jesus finally gets to Jairus' house and the daughter is dead. She's dead and he walks in and they laugh at him. Yet, Jesus raises her from the dead. This is power over not just disease, but now death. But before we address Jesus' unnatural response here of being unhurried, I actually want to look at his other unnatural response here, which is humility. Verse 56, it says her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Bizarre, right? Don't tell anyone. He just got done in the previous story saying, hey, go tell everybody what God has done. Now don't tell anybody. Most believe that Jesus is telling these parents in order to protect their whole family. He's, he's essentially saying, hey, keep this on the down low so that your life isn't ruined by the paparazzi like mine is. I mean, <laughs> Jesus' life wasn't ruined, but he's, Jesus understands that when people find out that their daughter is raised from the dead, their life is not gonna be the same, okay? They're gonna go viral, so to speak. So he's like, hey, you wanna live a quiet, peaceful life. Don't go tell everyone about it, right? And this is, this is humble of him because he loved them so much, not just to come and raise their child from the dead. That's, that's a lot of love. But then he wants no credit for it because he cares more about their well-being moving forward then he cares about himself getting credit. See, that is true humility. That is true love. But what we see throughout this passage that's really unnatural is Jesus being unhurried. Unhurried. Jesus stops and takes time to heal and then teach on faith and and. Time is of the essence the whole time. Jairus' daughter is dying. Get over here, Jesus. These are probably the things his disciples are saying. Stay focused. What are you doing? But Jesus never misses an opportunity, and he always chooses not to be hurried or rushed. He doesn't let other people's agendas for him frazzle him. Look at Jesus' unhurried responses. Verse 50, after he finds out that she's dead and he's not there yet, he says, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. Now, if he was in a hurry, he'd be like, oh man, I gotta get there right away. I gotta get, and he'd start running. He doesn't, he stops. Teaches again, hey, don't be afraid. It's gonna be all right. She will be saved. He's unhurried. Next response, verse 52, when he arrives at Jairus' house, everyone's mourning and wailing. He says, hey, stop crying. She's not dead. She's just asleep. He doesn't immediately rush to her side and raise her from the dead. He gets there, but he's unhurried. The quote on your sheet there from John Ortberg says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I just want to admit to you 
that I've wrestled long and hard over this quote and this concept because I love to get things done. And I take great pride in getting a lot done in a short amount of time. But here's what I've concluded. If Jesus wasn't in a hurry, why would he ask me to be? Obviously, we can go too far down the other path and and fall into laziness, which isn't good either. But most people I talk to need to hear this quote quite often. And we need to start believing it and living in it. Or we're going to get a ton done outwardly in our lives, but be a wreck inwardly. And I just confess to you right now, this morning, I didn't live this out very well. And knew it the whole time. I missed out on some things this morning. And particularly on the peace of Jesus. Because I got too hurried. And it didn't have to do with my circumstances. It had to do with my heart. So, discuss this quote at your table. Hurry is the great enemy of your spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Discuss. All right. Ironically, I'm going to keep us moving forward. However, I was trying to be respectful because I didn't actually give you a question, and some people really struggle to discuss open-ended things like that. So I'm also trying to be respectful. So if you want to continue discussing that, again, you will have time later. Next, we have Jesus being empowering. So look at Luke 9, 1 to 9 with me. Summoning the twelve... He gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. So in these verses, Jesus supernaturally shows his power over sickness through other people. We really see Jesus' power now because he's not just, it's not just a firsthand thing, showing, healing people of diseases. He's now, it's now a secondhand thing. His followers get sent out and they have the power of God to heal people as well. I mean, it's one thing to heal Someone's sickness is another thing to heal someone's sickness through somebody else, and that is what Jesus is doing. It's worth noting, as is the case with Jesus, and I've pointed this out before, he heals physically in order to heal spiritually. See, his followers were not just healing people, they were also sharing the the eternity-altering good news with them. Word and deed, showing and sharing. But what was unnatural here is that Jesus empowered other people. Jesus had every right 
and all the ability to heal and share with other people himself. Yet, he invites his followers into that adventure and shares the spotlight with them. It makes me think of Troy Nesbitt. Many of you know Troy. Troy was the founding pastor of Cornerstone Church of Ames, which is our mother church that planted us. And Troy has mentored me. And Troy, from the very beginning of starting Cornerstone Church, platformed other people as much as himself. And that has become our practice as well. Troy, if you know Troy, he has every right and would have had all the ability in the world to be the guy, okay? He's an incredible speaker, knows the word, yet he knew the power of multiplication and a plurality of leadership and took a back seat. It's rather incredible, if, if you know Troy, that that is what happened. He empowered other people. So a thought to ponder there might be things you're doing for Jesus right now that others could and should be doing, and you're holding them back because you're not empowering them. Let me say that again. It's just something to ponder. This may not be true for you, but it might. There might be things you're doing for Jesus that others could do and should be doing instead, and you're holding them back because you're not empowering them. Jesus empowered others. Lastly, we see that Jesus was hospitable. We got Luke 9, 10 to 17. This is our last section. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that had been done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, The twelve approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we're in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, for about 5,000 men were there. And he told his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said. And had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fish. And looking up into heaven. He blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples. To set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. The supernatural part. Is that Jesus displays power over matter here. Power over food, over substances. Jesus exponentially and miraculously turns a few fish and a few loaves of bread into thousands of fish and thousands of loaves of bread. A lot could be said about this, but the story, I think, speaks for itself, and I'm guessing that you know it. But the unnatural part here is that Jesus is hospitable. Now, the setting if you, in case you missed it, the setting is that disciples just, the disciples just got back from more or less a mission trip that Jesus sent them out on, a pretty intense one. They're, they're healing people. They're shaking dust off the feet, saying, hey, you don't want anything to do with us. We don't want anything to do. I mean, it was intense. They get back, and now Jesus is getting away with them to debrief. If you've been on a mission trip, you know the importance of that. We're going 
we're going to process everything that just happened. So they go to a quiet place, to a, to a set-apart set apart place, to a quiet town, to have a pastor's retreat, more or less. A little R&R, right? Verse 11, though, the crowds find them. And Jesus says, come back tomorrow. We're having a retreat. No, he doesn't. He welcomes them. He teaches them. He heals them. He's hospitable. Verse 12, his disciples, I think, are fed up because they were expecting some R&R. And they asked Jesus to tell them, get out of here. Go find some dinner. In verse 13, Jesus goes, no, you, you give them something to eat. He's being hospitable, and he's making his disciples be hospitable. (laughs) Jesus provides miracle food for everybody there, and there's even some left over. He's hospitable. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think this means that we shouldn't have good boundaries and have set-apart time to rest. I think we absolutely should. I'm just saying we should probably be more, a little more interruptible sometimes than we think. On your sheet there, there's a quote from Rosaria Butterfield, and she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she said this, Hospitality, biblically speaking, means love of the stranger. What hospitality is not is fellowship. There's nothing wrong with fellowship. We love having our friends over who think the way we do, and and they're safe, and we can just catch up right where we left off. But that's not actually hospitality. Hospitality has the stranger in mind because we were once strangers to the Lord. Hospitality is a universal command, uniquely applied. I think we all need to think about how we're all needed in this. There's only one you, and you will apply this differently than I will, and that's okay, but nobody gets a free pass. You don't get to not ever practice hospitality. Now, there are seasons when we're going to ebb and flow, but if it's a lifestyle of refusal, that's called sin. Hospitality. It's love of a stranger. When was the last time you showed love to a stranger? When was the last time you were hospitable? Now, to end here, I want you to look at the bottom of the message part on your sheet. And it has a couple lists. The first list is calm, poised, unhurried, empowering, hospitable. And the second one, power over nature, power over demons, power over disease and death, power over sickness through others, power over matter. These are all the things we saw today, both the supernatural and the unnatural And as you look at these lists, I want you to just be amazed. This is Jesus. Look at this. Just just take a good look at it and remember that this is Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? That's our Savior. That's our King. That's our friend. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. And you sent Jesus ultimately to die and to rise again. But what an incredible example for us with his life and with his ministry.
I pray that as we look at these lists, we would be emboldened and encouraged to be more calm and poised and unhurried and empowering and hospitable ourselves because we realize that you, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are with us and in us. We thank you for that hope. We thank you for that reality. Help us to live more like you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.